Welcome to the Futures Edge Podcast. I'm Jim Murio. As always, the brains behind the operation co-host, Bob Iaccino. Uh, today, we have a doubleheader for you. We're going to start out the first Friday of every month. It's the first Friday of the year. We're going to start out with Mike Arnold, who is the Chief Technician of Path Trading Partners, and I always learn a ton when he's on the show. Secondly, the second half of the podcast, we're going to switch over to Nate Dallin, who's an immigration attorney, owns his own firm in Nebraska, and has a lot of interesting insight on the immigration crisis. And for those of you not watching, I am doing crisis with the quotation marks because they say it on the news every day about the crisis. Yeah, stick around for the second half of the show. I mean, Mike's one of the best technical analysts you'll ever meet, and Nate's a really, really good immigration attorney, has a lot to educate you guys on in terms of immigration policy. So make sure you stay tuned all the way through the show. so tired of collars. All they do is get all bunched up and they never look that good. I just prefer a t-shirt anytime. Unless you iron them. You know I, what? Because you put them in the wash, they come out. What are these words you're saying? What do they mean? This iron thing? I, well, <laughs> I've heard of one one time. I've heard of one. To put it in perspective, have, uh... when, when I first got married, like I tended to do laundry every three days. She tended to do laundry every day. So it never gets to three days. So we're like a year in and she's like, well, you don't do laundry. I'm like, well, you don't let me do laundry. But what I was going to make is then, then I would shrink all her sweaters the one time I would do laundry just to have her say, forget it. I'll do the whole thing. And that worked pretty good. So if I was giving any young men uh, marriage advice, shrink a couple sweaters up, have at it. You know, the other reason I like this particular type of shirt is because like I said, I mean, this is, this is a t-shirt, right? right? I mean, it's all stretchy. I can flex if you want, whatever. Oh, um, none of us oh, do. Come on. Say, like I can actually, so commentary I do for clients, right? I can actually just throw a sport coat over this and I don't have to change. When there's clients that say, I want my commentary done with a sport coat. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about a sport coat and a $19 collared shirt? How's that Perfect. work for you? Perfect. It makes things easier. By the way, did you guys do any uh, New Year's resolutions? I don't, I don't really do. I did two this year, but did you guys yeah. do any? I did. I, I posted mine. I, I, it's a I big deal to me. I don't care it. I want to know number well, one. Because I thought maybe you read it. I thought maybe you I gave read it to about it. I read it. I read it. I read it. I read Thank most you. Yeah. I, I want, I think that we have this power to make people feel good as we pass them. Oh, the, the smiling. To smile. I did read Say it. something nice. Yeah. I'm not a very religious guy, but when I do say my morning, you know, ritual, I say everybody who I come in contact with that day, I try to make it feel better, not worse. And we all know I'm probably going to hell anyway, but if there's one thing that maybe saves me, it's that. What did you do, Mike? Anything? I have not done resolutions since, like, I was a kid. You know what? Right. Mike's the only kid who was doing resolutions because he's always I was, and I realized it was a lot of crap, so I just stopped years ago. <laughs> only you mostly know crap. It's, it's crap. If you want to make a change, what does it matter about magically the first of the year just make the change when you want to make the change i mean okay. all it is is for people to procrastinate till and then they do the change happy, for two weeks happy and fucking new year to you too mike arnold god what damn it that? i said happy fucking new year to you bobby what did you do anything uh two i want to read three thomas soul books this year oh fantastic and this is the first one which i'm a little bit into already can you guys see it 
Yep. Social justice fallacies. Social justice fallacies because I, he's 93. So we're yeah. going to lose him. And I mean, he's got what, 20 some odd books. Yeah. So if I can read three a year, I figure, well, you do the math. It'll take me right. about five years to get through all of them. And then the second one was to cuss less or not at all. But I fucked that up this morning already. Okay. <laughs> when my coffee machine wasn't working. Oh, God. How's yeah. someone expected not to cuss when there's no coffee in the morning? Right. Yeah. Well, it's absurd. Wait, hold, hold By the on. way, you it was because said... I didn't have it was because I didn't have water in it. So mm. you said less. So technically, you won't know that till the end of the year. I mean, what less compared to what? This is why we love Mike Arnold. This is exactly why we love concrete goal. Concrete goal. One last I'm thing. Swear but... fucking le- uh, right. I mean less. So. I didn't One even last actually thing, do that. About Thomas Sowello. So What's that? is that you know you said he's ninety three. So inevitably, yeah. you know, people in their mid nineties tend to die. And I'm not, I mean, yeah. I, he's, a, he's an absolute treasure. But my hope is that when he does die, his death perhaps brings more of his teachings to light. And people who, who are watching this know that Bobby and I think Thomas Sowell is one of the greatest people to walk this planet. I mean, he's yeah. just a genius. And every time yeah. he opens his mouth, he confirms that. My favorite quote, well, it's not my favorite. I can't honestly pick a favorite quote. Yeah. But I, there's, a, there's an hour-long documentary on him done by the same guy who wrote a biography of Thomas Sowell. And I was watching that because it's free on like YouTube or some online. I don't, I don't know if it's YouTube, but he literally said, he gets asked by an interviewer. He says, so you were a Marxist when you went to the University of Chicago? And he says, yes. He goes, you were still a Marxist after your first Milton Friedman course? And he says, yes. And he said, so what changed you from being a Marxist? And he goes, facts. And it's just one of the best quotes. He just doesn't, he doesn't elaborate. (laughs) Facts. It's amazing. Okay, let's roll. You guys ready to roll? We have one of our favorites today, Mike Arnold, who is Path Trading Partners Chief Technical uh, strategist. It's always good to have them the first Fridays of every month. But a reminder too, one, thank you to our sponsor, Mint Mobile. Two, we are never going to accept sponsors who are going to be critical of the things we say. They can take their, they can take their money and go. We believe that the whole media model is going to be transforming to a model like this. What's happened to mainstream media with 80% of their sponsorship coming from pharma does not work. Bobby, do you have anything to add to that? We subscribe to the Elon Musk school of advertisers. And I don't uh, want, and I want everyone advertising with us thinking like us. Just let us give our opinions or we'll right. move right along. We don't need your money. Hey. Oh, Mike's here. <laughs> I, uh, no, I did. Hey, uh, side note, and this isn't related to the, the sponsorship of this podcast, but I did convert to Mint Mobile. Fantastic. Nice. Did you I use did. our I myself, my here. wife, my dad, and uh, stepmom to Mint Mobile. By the this way, this is going so to be one of our social clips for this right, show. Right. So, people, just so you don't accuse me of being Jason Kelsey and advertising for something, but not actually advertising for it, my cell phone plan comes through my company, which I'm not in charge of moving it. When it doesn't, I will most probably move to Mint Mobile because it does have a better price. Yeah. And I do. I converted as well. And the service is identical to my old service. There's nothing different about it, except it is a third of the price, basically. It's awesome. It's amazing. By the way, both. here's a question for you to start it off. This Jason Kelsey ad where he's advertising for Pfizer, which I have no problem him advertising for Pfizer, but man up and say he took it or 
he advocates for you to take it instead of just saying, I like two things at once. That looks like plausible deniability to me if anything goes sideways in that. And I think that's bullshit. I'm not even joking. What do you think of that, Mike? I completely agree. Either say, you know, let, let's know the truth. Let's know the facts. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to advertise for something and you're not willing to do it, then there's a problem with that. Yep. Yeah. For same. me, my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what Jim said is we're not only, you know, we want sponsors because we want to be able to continue to say what we want to say and do what we want to do on this podcast. So, you know, when we said go after yourself to sponsors, we don't mean we don't want sponsors. We want them because we want to expand the show, expand the reach of the show, get better guests. Some might need to be coerced financially. We don't know. We haven't had that yet. And we've gotten fantastic guests without doing that. But we're probably not going to accept a sponsor whose product we don't like or, or can't vouch for. We also, even if pharma came to us, which they never would if they ever paid attention to the show, but even if pharma came to us and said, we want you to back Ozempic on your show, which is the drug that was supposed to be just a diabetes drug and turned into a weight loss drug, we wouldn't because the three of us all agree, Mike, I'm speaking for you, but I think I can, that pharmaceutically induced weight loss that also deteriorates muscle at the same time that you lose weight on the scale. I know neither Jim nor I would do that. A positive, knowing Mike, as long as I do, that he wouldn't do that either. Never so we would say no. That. We yeah. just wouldn't say no. We wouldn't say yes. Mm -hmm. No. Except, I Work mean, out more. It was like, more, it was like 10 million bucks a show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kidding people. We are talking. Just are a talking. quick shout out to Goat Energy Drink, which is not a sponsor yet, but which I drink a lot. Okay. So I Should hope be. they will be one. Bobby, over the last two and a half years, it seems like everything has gone so high up in price. Do you ever ask, why the heck is my wireless bill so unbelievably high? Absolutely. I mean, what are we paying all that money for? Is it speed, coverage, data, access to 5G, unlimited talk, text, mobile hotspots? It's a lot. Well, the Futures Ed podcast is partnering with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers all of these features that you just mentioned for as low as $15 per month. They're built on the nation's largest 5G network and keep costs low because they sell direct to you online. They cut out the retail stores and the salespeople. We've all seen those annoying stores in the strip malls. Yeah, and so people have to ask themselves, why do you want to pay more? For access to the exact same network. Go to mintmobile.com slash futures edge. Also linked in the podcast description to get premium wireless for $15 a month. My family's changed. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that struck me, Jimmy, is our cell phone bill, our mobile phone bill was actually three times my first car payment, which was a beautiful electric blue Iroxy Camaro with a 5.7 liter engine. You know I wish I still had that thing. How am I supposed to follow that here? Okay, so <laughs> tell them now, how hard is it to switch service? Because Big Wireless wants you to believe it's really, really hard. Switching to Mint is super easy thanks to digital eSIM cards, which most phones have now anyway. You can sign up and activate immediately right on your phone from the comfort of your couch, your desk, your bed, whatever. If your phone doesn't have an eSIM, Mint will ship you a new SIM card for nothing. Okay, up to this point, the big wireless companies wanted you to think that they were the only option. Don't be duped. And now you're going to receive an additional three months free if you purchase a three-month plan using our link, mintmobile.com slash futuresedge, also linked in the podcast. This offer is available on all plans, including the unlimited plan. 
not a conspiracy theory. Go to our partner, mintmobile.com slash futures edge to get premium wireless for as low as $15 a month. Buy three months, get three months free. Go there now. Okay, let's roll. Let's actually talk about uh, market stuff because I like market stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Mike Arnold, well, can we start with um, uh, the just S&P broad? Just because the fact that we're, we're, we're flirting with these all-time highs, we can't, haven't really made a decisive move above it. I'd like to go at that. Is that cool? Yes, we can. There's your S&P daily. We're finally after this insane run rolling over. I'm, I'm going to switch to the weekly real quick because we had, Good. what, 10 weeks up? Yep. And even to just get back to, and, and then we'll jump down to daily, but even just to get back to just a, a sane market reset would even be, if we dropped to 4,700, it would just even be a pullback to a sane market reset. I mean, it would be nothing, especially after a massive 10-week run. What we do have... Correct. Quick correction, Mike. It's nine weeks, and that's the longest run since 2000. nine weeks? Yeah. One, it's two, the longest three, run four, since five, six, seven, eight. I had, I have 10. Why do I have 10? No, it's nine. You just counted out nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, you're right. I can't count. Yeah. Either way, yeah. that's the longest weekly streak since 2004. So it's significant. Yes. Sure is. Uh, besides what happened on the weekly, we have a potential double top pattern. Again, may never trigger. But we should then, if we do get a close below December 20th's low, which on the S&P futures, and these are the March futures, 47, 43, 25, we should trigger at least a potential slightly bigger pullback. And that could take us that 40, anywhere from 46.65 to about 4,700 area, which would reconnect us with the weekly rotation zone. And so nothing would be out of whack. If we reconnect with the 50, which was the topping area in October before the final little push down, became support in November. And if we pull back to that area, which is about 4,600, that would only take us into the middle of the weekly rotation zone and uh, right around the prior key resistance from last July of 23, that would be a retest of the last little breakout area from, what, four weeks ago, so at the beginning of December. The only thing that starts perking me up from, all right, this is not ordinary pullbacks, this is not resetting the insane nine-week run-up, would be if we start closing about below 4,500, that would make me sit up and take notice. And then the absolute critical level that says, okay, now it's probably going back to short any rallies right now is 43.88. Okay, so Mike, am I safe saying just what I heard from you there is that we've had nine week run up in a row. If you had a gun to your head and were forced to make a trade, which you are not, you, are, you believe more in a pullback than a just a head, head right through it and keep heading higher sort of trade, correct? I am in a short-term pullback camp, which we've already started. Mm-hmm. I will get into a more extended pullback on that close below up 47, 43, 25. Okay. And then eventually, if we really, though, I was at a weekly chart up, and this is a daily chart, 
That 43.88 level, fascinatingly enough, is right around, that's a 62.5 level, which I've talked about many times, which shifts the probabilities. But that's also in the vicinity of the 200 simple moving average. So if we did get back all that, let's say this turns into an extended decline over the next couple months, that's the line in the sand, not just because it's 200, but more so because the probability shifted at the 62.5 level. Other than that, especially if we stay above 46.08 in the next, uh, before the end of January, it's still an orderly pullback. Okay. Bobby, you got anything? Yeah. How far of a move is that, Mike, down to the 200 and down to the 62 on a percentage basis? Can you sort of scratch well, that up? Let's see, roughly we're at 4,800 right now, and that would be, let's, 4,400. So that'd be a 400-point drop on 40. So that would just be under 10%. So about an 8% move. Okay, that's yeah. interesting to me because that's the kind of move where people would start saying, well, it's only a correction. I mean, they'd be right technically, right? Between, right. you know, a 10% correction is pretty, it's pretty commonplace. If I'm not wrong on the frequency of it, I think it's sometimes uh, we get like three of those a year. So getting one in the early going wouldn't surprise me at all. No. But it's going to take think, a lot of I have of a quick question for Bobby. Bobby, yeah. do you think 8 to 10% move down will hasten the Fed if they're intending on easing? Yeah. Will that, I do. I do. I do. I, I've looked, I've looked, you know, the fact that they pivoted, and again, we, we're calling this a pivot, Mike, because of the, the, Summary of Economic Projections, also known as the dot plots, actually had some of the Fed or the FOMC committee putting rates in their for or rate cuts in the forecast. So we're calling this the pivot that, we're, that Jim's been looking for. I, I think that that, to me, based on the data I'm seeing, that makes them political without a doubt, simply because of not even targeting necessarily the election. You still have a sub 4% unemployment rate, and only the core PCE has a two-handle on it, on inflation. So inflation is still elevated. Unemployment is still down. The fact that they would actually even look for rate cuts this year, to me, makes them unequivocally political. And real anymore. quick, just to clarify that, if they're cutting rates based on the economy, I'm sorry, based on the stock market, that to me is political. Uh, yeah, I agree with you 80%. I think there is a time if, if asset prices in general are absolutely cascading lower beyond any, I mean, people are just shedding assets. I think that's an element that should go into some sort of economic wealth effect model. But for the most part, I agree with you 100%. Is it fair to say what I just said, Bobby? Well, let me ask you both a question based on that. And, and I'll go to Mike first. So then Jimmy, because it was kind of your point, 8% from new all-time highs on the S&P futures would be cascading lower? No, it's not. So if I'm right, that they would, that would actually hasten a rate cut, they're political, I think. Mike, I'm with you. you. I agree. If they, if they start cutting it, I mean, if we even dropped to 4,400 and that was to ramp up cuts, then A, didn't we keep pulling back? Remember dot-com bust? Didn't we keep pulling back for a lot longer after they started cutting? So I don't think it would have anything other than a psychological effect on stuff. But B, it would be a completely political move, especially in a presidential election. Yeah. I'll point something else out as Mike switches. Where do you want to go, Mike? The Nasdaq? We'll go to Nas next. I'm try I'm gonna I'm gonna find something, but I'm gonna say that forty four hundred, I need to find it on my chart here and I haven't yet. I'm gonna say that forty four hundred probably still put us up on the year if forty four hundred would have come last year. So that's what I mean about it not being 
a cascading move down because let's see, we started last year, or I should say we started uh, 2023 at about, yeah, 2023 opened at 38.95. So if we had dropped down to 4,400 within 2023, it still would have been a positive year for the S&P. People tend to look at years in a weird way to me. And I understand why it's like, that's how funds and ETFs were up this much this year, we're up that much that year. But, you know, looking back, you go to the October lows of 2022, the October low for the S&P future, if you're looking at a continuous contract, was 3502. So if we go to 4,400, it's still 100 handles, 90 handles better over the course of 13 months, right? Yeah. So pretty good. I mean, people look at it too in in terms of rebalancing, things like that. A year is important to people, but... What Bobby's saying, and I think I agree with this, it's largely psychological. You pick whatever yeah. time period you want. NASDAQ up here. By the way, NASDAQ does not have a double topping pattern. I'm watching. We just bounced off the de- bottom of the daily rotation zone, which is a key area, especially for a first bounce. So I am now watching to see how much we bounce off of here. The key line that it has to get back above for me to get into this correction's over uh, and we'll at least retest the high the recent high area from December is 16.962. Other than that, if we don't get a daily close above that, I'll keep watching for more consolidation slash pullback. And the major lines in the sand for based off the weekly NASDAQ, still anywhere 15850 to 16000 is a standard ordinary pullback and the critical line in the sand is about 15275 those are the levels that i am watching on and by the way i haven't brought up a lot but i do watch demark stuff especially sequentials and com- and combos demark indicators it's too much to go into if somebody wants to know about it just google it i mean he's a he's a famous famous technical analysis and those are the two of the most reliable things that he's ever produced. They are at significant topping areas. Now they're about to get potentially triggered for a more significant rollover moves, but they are at potentially topping areas. And we're at some end of uh, wave counts and everything else. So this could still turn into some bigger pullbacks before potentially the next uh, move up. But that's what I am also keeping an eye on now. Cool. And has the VIX exploded higher uh, in this, this like today? What what did the VIX do? Did you guys see or no? The VIX is, Still no. Here, here's, here's the VIX. It had tailed up. The key line, the sand, I'm still watching for starting to get in because everything's spinning sell volatility mode, sell vol, buy it all. Right. Uh, we still, even with this pullback, we spiked up just shy of fourteen thirty. What was the high today? Fourteen twenty-three. My line in the sand is fourteen thirty, especially on a daily closing basis. You start closing about fourteen thirty, we could be into the more extended pullback. Other than that, you see, even with this decline right now, the the Nasdaq's down one hundred seventy-two basis points. The the VIX is pretty much flat on the day, back at thirteen twenty. I mean, there's there's no fear in this market whatsoever. It's amazing. Worst That's when you people that should be scared when there's no fear. But that's all I'm saying. 
Worst day today for the NASDAQ, and we are recording on January 2nd. So when you guys see this, it'll be about a week later. But this was the worst day for the NASDAQ since October 25th, I believe. Yeah, October 25th. So, I mean, the NASDAQ obviously has, has led this. And I did see a couple of articles about there being an AI mini bubble. I think that's starting to be sort of conventional wisdom. Also, Apple got downgraded by Barclays today. Yeah, so yeah. that helped NASDAQ lead us. Also, NVIDIA, if you're watching the AI mini bubble, NVIDIA confirmed a little mini double top but did not trigger it today. It may get triggered this week. And there's still a potential bigger topping pattern. So anybody's watching AI stuff, keep an eye at 450. If you get a weekly close on NVIDIA below 450, watch out. Sorry to sidetrack there, but that's just a little. No, that's fine. I actually bought Nvidia. I don't recommend stocks or anything, but I bought Nvidia a couple of weeks ago. Do you guys know why I bought it? Can you guess? No. Because Na Nancy Pelosi bought it. She's the best <laughs> trader ever. <laughs> Swear uh, to God, I didn't buy much, but I just thought it's kind of funny, just because I want it to be a punchline. Yeah. Bitcoin. It was it was breaking out today above this. Uh, it got to forty six thousand, and then I'll. Uh, Pretty decent sell-off so far. I mean, you can't say you can futures close, but uh, you know the the cash, which I follow because even the weekend trade is interesting if you're following it. We're getting still between forty-two two thirty, forty-two thousand two thirty, and forty-nine forty-eight thousand nine twenty-two. So let's just go off forty-nine thousand is a major roll potential rollover zone. We had a potential topping pattern that never triggered. It now turned into a continuation pattern, uh, but it's not falling through so far. But if it breaks back down below 44,300, the major line in the sand is 40,300. If you start dropping below 40,300, I'm watching for a bigger Bitcoin pullback. If we close above that 49,000. The next magnet price, based off probabilities, the minor magnet price is 55,600. The major magnet price is 62,300. That's your key line in the sand. Also, that 49,000, I'm rounding up from the 62.5% harmonic level. But if it does close above the uh, March, highs from 22 which also is major resistance that it has not tackled yet so that would be not only a probability shift off the harmonics it would also be just from pure price action on the chart would close above a very key resistance level so you could easily then continue to be in bullish mode but i am still in caution slash there could be more consolidation Unless it gets that close above 49,000, because See, is, it is that potential rollover zone. See, I thought if you look at a, a, low, a shorter duration chart than what you have on there, I thought moving through that series of old highs, coming back and test it, testing it today, but that, that's, I know that's a big wick in today's trade, but I thought that would embolden you and make you more of a bull. And you say no, huh? No, because anywhere. Between the 50, and this is just probability-wise, which is tested sure. out across a ton of markets through many, many years, between the 50% and 62.5, it's either on a down move, it's critical support, 
on an up move, it's critical resistance because this is the highest probability area that things fail in. What shifts those probabilities is the close above the 62 and a half. And this is, a, again, the daily chart. So, and that's 4,900. Just go off. For, it's 48, 922, 50. So go off 4,900 because, 4, me, right. yeah. you know, there you go. But that's the key line of sand. Now, that doesn't mean in short term you can't be bullish. Yes, today was a bullish break. That's why, from my perspective, on any pullback now, your stop would have to be 40,300 at the worst case. But if then, if this then reverses and closes below 40,300, we've had a fake out move to the upside in a high probability reversal zone and then a follow through failure. So that's why this could be traded on any breakouts or consolidation, but you got to keep those key levels in mind. According to Bloomberg, January 10th, that's supposed to be the next deadline for the Bitcoin ETF approvals, uh, some of them, not all of them. And my question is, there's starting to be a louder narrative. And we actually talked about this a while ago, that the actual approval because of the rally before could be a sell the news event. Do you guys think it will be or could be? And Mike, you see the possibility of that on a chart maybe? Yeah, that's why even a rally into that date, we could get sell the news event because it's been so long. This has been a pretty extreme run up like a lot of other higher volatility aspects. But until we really break below that, that key level, I'm watching that 40,300, I can't shift overly bearish. I can be on the lookout for, we don't have a key topic pattern yet, but I can be on the lookout for more significant topic patterns. I'm a big fan of the um, buy the rumor, sell the news theory because it works so well so many times. And for you guys who don't know what we're talking about, and I know many of you do, but the, the theory is, is the market is forward looking. The market tends to price in things. And by the time that the news item actually hits the tape, all the positive effects of it have already been priced in. And all that's left is people like who are waiting for that to cover their longs. And then they right. race themselves for the doors. It happens quite often. The one thing that, that throws a curveball on this is that every time, and there's been about six different instances over the last year where the, the rumor came out that the Bitcoin ETF was imminently to be approved, all those times the Bitcoin rallied, and then hours later, the rumor would be denied, and it kept the bid the whole time. So yeah. I don't know. Bitcoin is, is definitely more like the, the, you know, the basketball trying to push it underwater. It seems like I will be very cautious of the buy the rumor, sell the news. Though. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's probably presumptuous to say that all of this rally is just on Bitcoin ETF approvals. It doesn't no, seem think, like that could be true. But yeah, I don't know. But we'll it is. See. I mean, it's certainly been significant. Dollar index, Mikey? Dollar index weekly. We're still holding, I mean, major, major support levels. You know, we just we got down to a nice round number of 100, right? Yeah, that's in the short term. We just pretty much, we got within a spitting distance of that to i'm going to watch where this week closes if this week closes above last week's high not only are the cycles at the bottom but we trigger a percent b buy pattern on a weekly basis so it could trigger then a more extended rally back up that by no means means we're going to the recent major highs from october 22 but it means we could see at least more than a a couple day bounce off this. So last week's high coming in at 101.35 is the key level I am watching uh, for the close of this week. If we get through, if we do close 
above that level this week. Then the major first target area on a continued rally would be about 103 to 103.60. So I, I don't really trade the dollar index, but I trade a bunch of things off of the dollar index. And if the dollar is to rally that way, like I think it, it, it is due for a corrective phase higher, that would fit in nicely with the stocks trading lower, which I think they're due for as well. And it seemed like we all kind of agreed on that. Yep. So yeah. that's, I, I'm keeping a real close eye on the dollar index. Right. One of the things that's interesting is the dollar uh, index uh, just completed three or four days higher, today being the highest day for the dollar index of those four days. And one of those four days, the one that was not up, was unchanged. And it was regardless of rates. Like rates moved both up and down during those four days. But today rates moved up uh, more decisively, especially in the short end with the two-year up somewhere around 10 basis points. So that tells me it's a little bit about what's going on in other countries' economies, more so than here, but also something we've all talked about. And I haven't looked at it today. Mike, have you looked at the CME Fed Watch tool or Jimmy, have you? I had, yeah, 150 okay. basis points. Yeah, still uh, 150 basis points. Yeah, 13%. I suspect, I suspect that as the market realizes there's very little chance they do six, uh, rate cuts, uh, let alone seven, which was priced in the middle of last week. You might see a little bit of a stronger dollar be part of that narrative, but I don't think a stronger longer term trend, but I could be wrong. Want crude real quick? Interesting. So as we talked about on last time I was on the podcast, we still have not closed below the 200 simple, which is my key line the sand. We broke out today to the upside and then reversed rather strongly. I am watching where this week closes in relation to about 70 bucks of 70, 50, 70 bucks. If we close below there, then I'm going to be watching for the extended pullback. Unless we break below 6770 area, we are still we could be forming a bottoming pattern, but it would not it would be a very long way off from triggering. And that trigger point would be the high from uh the last week in December coming in at 7618. That's the only thing that could get me into extended bullish mode. Otherwise, it's choppy to bearish, especially with today's rejection of a price. We're looking for a potential buy setup if it maintained above Friday's high, which it did not. It rallied above there, then got slammed down. We're almost in double bottom, minimum double bottom territory. So by the time, if this is pulled back beyond 69.83, will be at potential double bottom territory. But again, the trigger point would be at least a daily close above 76.18. So choppy to bearish unless we close above 76.18. Bobby, what's fundamental? Fundamental is so far the problems in the Red Sea have not affected crude shipments, which is something I said, right? You remember that? Yeah. I said that I suspected that since a lot of the oil-rich nations were uh, – allegedly funding some of the Houthi attacks, that the oil ships would get free passes. Now, BP did stop shipping, but crude in general, had, you know, not all of BP's purchased crude oil ships through the Suez Canal, but they rerouted around the Cape of Good Hope, and that's really the only flow that we lost. A lot of the other uh, shipping companies just kind of continued and took a chance, and the Houthis so far have not affected the flow of crude oil. So the couple-day spike we saw based on that uh, went away. And you can see on this chart right here, uh, it's raced pretty quickly. 
And right. we've sort of resumed the downtrend of oversupply. And then you had weakness in China over the, the weekend that people didn't really talk about because it was a Saturday number. Uh, but manufacturing PMI from NBS in China came in further in contraction territory, which weakens crude. So. And that is interesting. I didn't see that because I was yeah. drinking my ass off all weekend long because it was yeah. a big party weekend. But yeah, that, by the way, hell of a football game yesterday, wasn't that? Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was just a, very rarely am I into every play of a game that none of my teams are playing in. You were talking about Michigan, Michigan or were you talking yeah, about Michigan Texas? Yeah, Michigan, yeah. Texas game was interesting too, but the Michigan game was phenomenal. I went to the Michigan game was fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, I felt good for Jim Harbaugh. I'm just having him being an ex-Chicago Bears quarterback. I'm just a fan of the guy in general. And a coming Chicago Bears coach probably I'm too, hoping. right? I'm hoping. I'm <laughs> hoping. I'm hoping. Well, maybe, you know, he gets the national championship. He gets to check that off his list and he can go back to coaching other things. That yeah. could be. Hey, we got it. I mean, an NFL coaching job is easier, right? I mean, it's not a seems it. not a 12 month out of the year job like recruiting and all no. the other things. That yeah, my buddy's a, my buddy's a college basketball coach for, uh, for uh, Oregon, and he mm -hmm. just travels the world all the time. And finally, he just moved to basketball, head of basketball operations, which means he doesn't have to recruit. But he said recruiting is absolute pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, and especially with Harbaugh getting uh, sidelined, I'll call it sidelined for a couple times this year, he's got to be a little fed up. No doubt. I mean, yeah. so if he checks off a national championship, I'd be, I'd be like, all right, I don't need this anymore. I'll go do something <laughs> where they're not going to sideline me. Right. Because he makes $7 million a year. He makes a crap ton of money. Yeah. It's nice yeah. seeing two big, two big 10 teams in the national championship. Yes, Washington is now becoming a Big Ten team. But there so. are rumors that he would be in the $20 million a year range in the NFL. Holy crap. I'll tell yeah, you that. Because that money doesn't even apply to uh, salary caps. Wow. Head coach can get paid $100 million a year, and you could see, still be able to sign players. Wow. So, and he did hire an agent. That's interesting. What do you want so to look at next? The Future's Edge sports part of the podcast. So. <laughs> That's the part, of, the part of Future's Edge where we discuss current topics in sports. Hit, Go ahead, want gold and copper real quick. Gold, key on the sand on this pullback. Again, long term, we're in bullish mode. The only thing that really kills that is if we close below 1975 on a longer term basis. That would be a weekly basis, which we're not even close to. Short term, uh, the key pullback for it to hold is 2050. Other than that, from my perspective, it's everything's in ordinary mode and you just watch for more buy signals. Copper, you know, it's still $4 uh, at $0.04 is key for me to get in anything other than very short-term rally mode. There is nothing. Now, if we close below, the lows from the beginning of December at 372, I would not be surprised to see a pullback to retest the 355 level. That would trigger a topping pattern. It would have lost all the key levels. We're not anywhere close to that yet. We're trading about 386. That's the major line of sand that shifts me bearish. The only thing besides, again, short-term patterns, very short-term patterns, there might be one around three. If we do pull back to 380, we could develop. That's a very key area of watching for a bounce pattern. The only thing other than that, the bounce patterns that, you know, whether they last for a week, two weeks, the only thing that gets me 
extended bullish is above 404. Everything else is just trade in a trading range. Jimmy, how do you feel fundamentally about copper at this point? I, I have an opinion, but I, I kind of want to okay. get yours first. Here's my opinion. We've got nothing but bad news out of China and Chinese economy. Not nothing, Agreed. but mostly Agreed. nothing. Agreed. In that time, copper's hung in amazingly well. Historically, we've always associated with the strength in China. Right now, it's, it's detached from that. And to me, that's amazing. And I think it's positioning itself for if, if or when or whatever you want to say, China does start to come back online economically, I think it's coiled for a nice move higher. I love that 404 level that Mike just said, because it seems to be above some of that congestion that went back from, you know, between June and August, some of it, not all of it. But then to me, it looks nice and it looks like it's heading, you know, to those highs again, maybe. Yeah. So here's kind of what I wanted to ask you guys, because copper based, right? Basically in October, it kind of mm -hmm. based and it did what Mike calls a, I'm, when Mike says I'm looking for a basing pattern, uh, Mike, would you see you got, so, or I mean, it's obviously hindsight, it is a base, but were you getting a basing pattern in the beginning to mid-October? Yeah, basing pattern through, uh, once every started, things started rallying and this came off waning momentum, bottoming pattern into the... <laughs> Into the beginning of November, it, it it broke out from those levels, and then it broke out. And that that basing pattern was also near major support from uh, November twenty two, from May of twenty three, uh, and then it did a multi week support pattern through October there. So again, just key support resistance with waning momentum could not push lower. And then we got the confirmed close higher. Yeah, that was putting in a, a substantial bottom down there. So here's the reason I say that, and this is more of a question than an opinion. Okay, we start. We got the pivot on the 12th, 13th of December, right? And that's sort of we were already rallying into that. So do you guys think? And we were getting sort of weaker, weakish economic data. So do you guys think that that was market anticipating a pivot and then getting it? Or, I mean, what else would it have been, right? No, that, that's what I think it was, because the stocks okay. went the same exact pattern. The stocks okay, cool. started rallying in October, late October, call it Halloween. Rates started going. On August, on October 18th, two-year yields were 5.22. By December you know, 27th, they were 4.25. Uh, yeah. That's a big-ass move in yields. So yields went straight down. Stocks and some risk assets went, assets went straight up. Copper, I think, was along for the ride. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, Mikey, uh, where right. can people find you? Just uh, best place to go to YouTube, search for Path Trading Partners. I'm on there every morning for a pre-cash uh, open rundown of the future, some stocks. If something's going on with Bitcoin, we look at that. But you know what? That's where to find and any updates to this. So if you want to know, hey, we're approaching key levels, what's the current thought? Just search Path Trading Partners on YouTube. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. As always, Mike, with a ton of stuff, I, uh, I really appreciate now, particularly with some of the weird stuff that's been going on in markets, it's nice when he comes and puts a fine point on it. Now we're going to, as promised, switch over to Nate Dallin, immigration attorney with his own firm in Nebraska, who has a lot of insight on immigration policy. We have a friend of ours from Twitter who amazes me with some of your inputs. I really enjoy it. Nate Dallin. Dallin's an Irish name, right? Yes, sir. You you nailed it. Very cool. Now seeing you, I could, yeah, it fits yeah, I you thought very you were well. Puerto Rican, but I guess the name says you're not. 
No, no. Um, I, an immigration lawyer owns his own law firm. He has a lot to say about immigration. So the next 25 minutes, half hour, we're going to break that down because uh, it happens to be a hot topic right now, wouldn't you say? It is. It is the hottest of topics. I think it should dominate all the politics of 2024. Hey, Nate, before we go into that, uh, you are, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, you're sort of an amateur macro strategist in a way, right? For sure. Okay, Emphasis cool. on I, amateur. I'm glad I put that <laughs> I put that correctly. Tell us your view on the dollar, because we just covered the dollar index with Mike Arnold in the first segment of the show. And we all sort of agreed um, that things may be shifting in the short term for the dollar to the upside. But what's your sort of broader macro view of the U.S. dollar? Yeah, good question. So I, I work with immigrants and they all are so sensitive to dollar changes. Mm -hmm. If you get people from El Salvador, Guatemala, they can tell you spot price of the dollar like instantly. So I started getting interested because my clients were interested and it, it shocked me. Very low education people can barely read, but they can tell you where the dollar is in their currency all the time. When there is stress abroad, demand for the dollar outside the United States goes up. Even when we have inflation at home, that stuff just gets soaked up outside the US. And so I agree. I think that in the short term, looking Q1, I expect there to be some shocking dollar strength. I know there's a lot of people just waiting for the dollar to collapse. But I do. I think people will be surprised that 100 level is just going to be sticky. It's just mm. going to be tough to break down through that. So, yeah. So as a, someone who's traded currencies for 35 years, it's so funny, the different story, because I you can just look at the domestic story and say, wow, we have such poor stewardship of our currency. The dollars can't help but go to nothing. And then you look at the rest of the world and say, oh, shit, everybody else has poor dollars, uh, poor fiat stewardship as well. The dollar is the tallest midget. So it's always this push pull. That's right. And I know you guys have had Brent Johnson on before, fellow Nebraskan. I think he's got this stuff nailed. It is just so hard when other countries get stressed. It's hard for us to measure dollar demand in the moment. So sometimes talking with these people anecdotally gives me information that won't show up in the data for a couple more weeks, but they will. They'll say things like, oh yeah, mom and dad are asking for money because the dollar just moved or the price of milk just went up in Nicaragua. They're asking for more cash. And I'm like, all right, we're going to see this baby move a little bit. But then when they see easing, when suddenly prices start to drop a little bit abroad, immediately they stop asking for cash. And so I, I kind of get that data. I just ask people like, hey, what, who's asking for money? And they'll tell me. And then two, three weeks later, I'll see the dollar move that way. So I, I made a, we were talking about resolutions earlier, and I made a resolution to read three Thomas Sowell books. And one of them, I'll show it again. Thomas Sowell doesn't sponsor us. This is the one I'm, I've begun already, Social Justice Fallacy. But Migration and Cultures is on my list. Yeah. So uh, I've actually made it kind of 3A. I've got a 3A and a 3B. Uh, you know much about Seoul or any of his opinions on immigration? Yes, absolutely. Um, of course, you know, Seoul um, dances the line that most good libertarians do, mm -hmm. which is in a world where immigration was done properly, we're all for open immigration. But that's the key. You can't have a Frankenstein system <laughs> and allow low wage earners to come in and just start wrecking things. Mm -hmm. And so his position, I think, is a very good one. We're not working in the world of the perfect. We're working in the world of the real. And you, you just can't have open borders if you have these big social policies. It will, it will ruin your currency, your spending, and eventually your culture. And he's really, really strong about that. So we do, we do have open borders. California, just today, there was a headline that they plan on giving 
migrants of full health benefits. I don't know if you guys read that. I don't see how you can't, as anyone who has any command of logic at all, look at this situation and say, clearly, one side of the aisle wants this migrants, this open border to continue. Why? What are they gaining from? This is complicated. And I say that because if you go look at Bernie Sanders in 2015, he said open borders as a Koch brother policy, no Democrat should ever support it. Wow. And that had actually been the line of pro-labor Democrats for decades, right? Go back to the 1980s. said it, I know, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so there's been a switch inside the party in the short run. I mean, in my lifetime, I'm not that old. I remember when Bernie Sanders, you know, shocked, I think it was um, Ethan Klein or, you know, one of these guys who works for the New York Times. And he's like, hey, I would never support open borders. That would totally screw with universal health care. How can I give universal health care? If I can never make a projection in the budget as to how much it's going to cost, Amen. like it just doesn't make sense. And then he shut up about it. He got into the middle of the election with Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was making really large claims that she was going to waive a lot of the penalties for entering the United States illegally. And then he just picked up and went right along with the party line. Who benefits? Um, it's clear that big tech really loves this. It's a little confusing as to why, but big tech loves having lots of people come in. I assume it's twofold. One, they need really high skill, low wage labor in order for their business model to continue to function. And two, they just need users. I think that Facebook and some of the other groups have seen our user base is shrinking because demographics in the US is shrinking. They're not really consumers, right? Facebook mines the public to go to their customers, but they need that those cattle, so to speak. And so they need people coming into the US who are high wage earners relative to Central America. They just need more people to get on their apps. And as soon as immigrants hit the United States, guess how they're communicating back home? Facebook, WhatsApp, all these different applications. And so their user base keeps going up. Oh, look, we got a million more subscribers in 2023. Well, the majority of them just crossed the border. <laughs> That's where their, their user base is growing. That seems rather benign. Bobby, you, you think that there's more, and I, by the way, I agree with it, but that, you know, to me, just have a, a basic blocking and tackling financial motivation for private companies. And for those of you who are listening, I'm doing the quotation marks for private companies because big tech are not private companies. They are a government private partnership, it seems like. But Bobby, what do you want to add to that? Well, I just immigration is a subject that's near and dear to my heart because I have a really, really close friend, somebody I would consider a brother whose mother was an illegal alien from Mexico, right? And he actually has a very big job at one of the non-US automakers running their hardware program, tech, right? And he's self-taught and he's an amazing guy. And again, I consider him a brother. And him and I have had very soft disagreements on this because I am the child of legal immigrants. Same. Both of oh, my I'm parents. Like grandmother, yeah, right. Well, I yeah. mean, both of my parents came. Yeah. I spoke Italian before I spoke, could speak English, and they came from Italy legally, and they both won what in the 60s was a form of a lottery. And if I'm being honest, I don't really understand it. But my father um, was was a like a his family won some sort of lottery where he could send one person. Uh, my grandfather won a lottery, came and then sent for his family three years later after he had enough money to support them. His brother never came and his, his uh, uncle never came. And it was just immediate family could come once you establish yourself. And both of my parents, my, my father was a green card holder for some 30 years before he got nervous 
And I don't remember which president made him nervous, but he decided to become a citizen. He used to always say he was going to die an Italian citizen, never really learned English well. And then he got his citizenship after like 30 years. My mother, as soon as she got out of school, because she was 16, just too much information, but she was 16 when she came here. And they put her in eighth grade in Catholic school and the Catholic nuns taught her English. And she became a citizen as soon as she could read English. Like she wanted nothing to do with going back. So the subject is very near and dear to me because I'm very pro-immigration, but I'm very anti-illegal immigration because it seems to me, and Jim, I know you agree with this, that the, the worst possible thing that could happen is the first thing you could do coming here is breaking a law and, and not getting punished for it. It's the very first thing you do. The actual question, which is in here somewhere, is my friend is offended by the term illegal immigrant, and I'm not offended by it because it is a factual term. We're talking about Thomas Sowell, right? Yeah. He's like, I have a, another close friend who has a DUI. He committed a crime. He was a criminal when he got convicted of a DUI. You know, so do you, do you find, Nate, that the terminology is actually as sensitive to your clients as it is? Okay, there's your answer. Go. No, yeah, the answer is no. So uh, let's, I want to talk about two things to sort of, because that's, this is the, this is really the, I think it's the core of the American project is what you just described, Bobby. And I appreciate that. I love hearing immigrant stories. Like, I don't know. I just get pumped. When I hear people who go through the process, they sacrificed a lot in order to become the best of America. I love that. So two quick things. The first is, as with all topics worth discussing, it's complex. I want to be technical about what I mean by complex. Um, some people think lots of variables equals complexity. I think it's dynam dynamism. It's dynamic relationships between variables that make something complex. So like rocket science, no offense to the rocket scientists. Those are not complicated variables. They're static. Those relationships never change. Gravity doesn't wake up pissed off every Thursday, right? Those are constants. When we talk about immigration and even the law with immigration, the relationships change over time and are dynamic. So we could talk about specific time periods of immigration, 1986, Reagan amnestied some 3 million Mexican nationals, got them green cards right away in exchange for our first border wall. The relationship between illegal and legal started to change in the 1980s because of those policy decisions. My clients could care less. They are willing to do whatever it takes to make a better life in the United States. It's just full stop. And I'll also mention, this is the second thing. Our immigration situation in the U.S. is vastly different than, say, Europe. We're lucky that we have neighbors that are Christian countries that already speak a bunch of English. They believe women should be able to testify in court, right? There just isn't the same barrier culturally when folks come over. There's still a cost culturally. Okay? I, I want to make it sound like this is just an easy, smooth transition, but we're lucky. There is nothing in the universe that says Mexico had to be easily Americanized after two generations. There are a lot of countries with a lot of immigrants going to Western nations. That is not the case. And so when my clients come, they know that they're never going to fully participate because of the way they've entered the U.S. So they tell me, all huh. I want to do is be able That's to get enough into the system that I can work legally, get a driver's license, so they're not going to send me packing. If I never get a green card, if I never get to vote, if I never get citizenship, that's not a priority. I just need to be here and be as legal as possible to take advantage of my circumstances as best I can. 
So I have a, to add on something too. And by the way, I want to circle back because my initial question to both of you guys was why does it seem like one party wants it so badly? And both of you guys dodged it like a politician, but I will say something <laughs> else. You, um, yes, you said something about, you know, Christian nations. And I had this discussion with some friends of mine who lean left over the weekend and they were saying, they were talking about immigration and diversity and this notion that diversity is our strength. The Muslim countries, when the Muslims come in, and I don't understand the religion, I'm trying to learn a lot about it, but it seems like there's many things that aren't exactly uh, conducive to living in our way of life. And I know in Sweden and in Switzerland, there are pockets where the Muslim community governs themselves. Well, if governing themselves in Dearborn, Michigan, I think is probably moving toward that. If governing yourself means gay people are not treated properly, women are not treated properly, then bullshit, then you can't govern yourself. This is a lot of people have worked really hard for this country. And, and maybe if that's the case, and again, I'm not saying I do, but if it's the case, then that needs to be worked out. And again, if you think that diversity is our strength, ask the American Indians, you know, in the original Thanksgiving, if diversity was the strength, when we all came here, us of European descent, we came here and then we killed them all. Remember, so it's, it can be an important issue. Nate, got anything on that? Yeah. So let's talk about two things. The first is, I think you're exactly right to say everything is different. So everybody's circumstance is a little different. In, in Nebraska, I'll just tell you straight, there are 93 counties, 82 are shrinking. So if you just look at the census, it's every year or every 10 years, every, 82 of these counties just keep getting smaller and smaller. There's 11 counties with growth. Six of those counties only see growth in one demographic, foreign born, Spanish speaking. When they come in, and I'll just give you an anecdote. And I was at a, I was getting blood drawn, talking to a nurse, older gal. She's from a small town outside of Omaha. I asked her, hey, have you seen the immigrants moving in? She gave me this story. I had my first kiss at a dance hall in downtown Schuyler, Nebraska, a tiny, tiny little town, one stoplight town. And she said, guess what? That's now a Guatemalan restaurant. And if you don't speak Spanish, you really can't be a patron there. That hurt her heart right? Like that is a big problem. Like the place where she has these memories, this is a core part of that community. It's now become a Guatemalan restaurant. Part of you says, hey, that's life. That's just how change happens. But you could understand why that is hard for the local population to have to deal with some of these childhood places getting totally renovated and taken over by someone you can't even speak with. Like that's real. We have to recognize that. South side of Chicago, similar things going on. You have a Hispanic community coming in and pushing out black folks. Like that's happening. It's a problem, okay? So we have to be realistic about that. What are the Democrats up to? Okay, like, let's just full stop. What are the Democrats up to? Yeah, I mean, that's, this, is, this is the problem. So I personally think the Democrats have a plan and I think the plan will fail. I do not believe this is gonna work. How long have we been told that Texas is gonna go blue or purple and why? Why would it flip blue or purple? It's because Democrats are expecting the children of immigrants who came here illegally, who have citizenship and can vote, they're going to give a premium to the party that helped their parents get here. I think that's the theory. It has yet to materialize. I haven't seen this materialize. It hasn't happened in Texas. It's not happening in Florida. Go ask the Cubans what they feel about the left. So if they are sort of planning to have this takeover of Hispanic folks, I think they're going to be disappointed. That's a bad plan. I do believe some of them actually believe this, though. They do think they can win the demographic war and... They're, they're, I think they're wrong, but I, that, I think that is real. I don't think that's made up. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer Jimmy here too, but I want to ask you really quick. Uh, do you consider yourself Republican, Libertarian? I, it doesn't sound like you consider yourself. And the reason I'm asking this is because 
oftentimes you uh, politely disagree with some of the things that Jim and I either tweet or retweet. <laughs> and I've always found that interesting because I found you to be somewhat conservative, but certainly not staunch. Yeah, no, this is a good question. So I have become less libertarian over time. So in my okay. 20s, you would have found me to be a strict, like, why do we even need the Fed kind of guy? I have slowly just realized we have this big, nasty country that has a lot of divided opinions on a lot of things. Yeah. If we don't have strong institutions, I don't know how to hold the country together. Okay, now, it might happen. Like, and I'd be the first one to be like, oh, glad to be wrong. Maybe if we did just blow up most of the most of the federal government, we'd be better off. But it's led me to a place of just sort of moderatism. I hate everybody. I have no party. <laughs> I, I just want to oh, take like a, a shower. Yeah. Like, is a can of soup going to be on the ballot next time around? Yeah. I really like DeSantis. I'm a big DeSantis fan. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, yeah, right. it's Mickey Mouse, can of soup. I'm open up for uh, my votes available. Who's <laughs> So here's here's why I asked you that. Now, I want to answer Jimmy's question. I, I think I'm just talking about these two parties and anyone who wants to research me in Florida, I'm registered as an independent. So um, you can't blame me for saying that one party wants what sounds more proper than the other in this particular subject matter. Right, Jim? But in immigration, I think the far left wants chaos in whatever way they can generate it. Because the far left is the, we're the government and we're here to help party, right? And I'm not going to say Democrats, because there's a lot of Democrats I respect. That number is shrinking as we speak. But there are a lot of Democrats I respect. And I think they want chaos. And I think Republicans tend to say personal responsibility, and that's a difficult thing to achieve when there's chaos, right? Because if you have personal responsibility, if that's your sort of mantra, and there's chaos, your personal responsibility is behind the barrel of a gun. And I don't think anybody wants to see that, you know, it develops in that way. And this is to my point about immigration, the whole thing about diversity being our strength. I actually agree with that, but there's a missing piece to that. Okay. And that missing piece is the experience that I live, right? Where your culture, okay, the culture that I was raised in and, and Jimmy was as well, even though it was his grandparents that emigrated here and not his parents, you grew up in this culture, but what the sons of the legal immigrants who actually tried desperately to come here, they want to be here, a lot of your clients, the sons and the daughters of those people want to assimilate professionally and keep their culture personally, right? And I think there is strength in that. To that poor woman in Nebraska, thank God, by the way, they tore down the first my first kiss when I was nine because... It was a dirty place. You had your first kiss when you were nine? Yeah, it was Jesus. Cicero. It was at a particular a bar. It's not important. So anyway, I'm glad they tore that place down. But, you know, you go back to what, like, Native Americans would think about the Europeans coming here and killing all of them. You know, again, something I read in this particular book, I don't have the data, but Thomas Sowell does. A lot of Native American tribes invaded the other tribes' land and killed them, right? So that was the way then. Right. So I don't look back on that and say, wow, the white people were really bad. And I know that's not what you were saying. But when I look at diversity now, when diversity is done in, in such a way, and I'm refer referencing a friend of mine who uh, he's he's a black man and he used to joke with me. He's a senior partner at a huge consulting firm by now. He was a junior partner when I saw him regularly in Chicago. He was my neighbor. And I guarantee he's a senior partner now. He says, yeah, when I go in and do presentations, you know, I, I talk white. But what he was saying was, I speak professionally as is accepted in the United States of America. 
And I think that assimilation we need to hold on to and it's necessary. But then as you can find a place to open a soul food restaurant or an Italian restaurant, or, you know, we got an Italian guy in this podcast that owns a burger restaurant, which is certainly not Italian food. You know, that assimilation I think is necessary. I watched Jim at his restaurant uh, one of the last times I was in Chicago and he walks up to me. He's like, hey, it's great to see you, man. Can we, yeah, I think I got a table. If you hold one second. And then I was waiting for a table. Turn, turns to me. He's like, yeah, you're an asshole. I don't worry about you. You know, he changed into a completely different guy. Oh, I do that all the time. My wife always makes yeah. fun of me for that. Yeah. So I think that like professional assimilation is not only valuable, but necessary. The culture is wonderful when it's kept. Like I love going into, I lived in Pilsen in my last neighborhood. Nate, if you don't know where that is, my last neighborhood in Chicago, there were a lot of places where if you spoke English, you couldn't necessarily get served. So I would take a neighbor with me who'd been in the neighborhood for 40 years. And I'd be like, hey, tell him I want that thin Mexican steak. And he'd go, you know, el steca through la machina limbia. And I didn't know what he was saying. And I loved it. You know, it was fun. So I think, I think diversity is our strength. But I think when Democrats say it, they're saying it with malice and they're saying it with bad intention because they want chaos. And again, I'm talking about the far left here. This chaos helps them stay in power and control the masses. Am I wrong anywhere? Can I take it, Nate? Yeah, please, it's to you, Jimmy. Okay, because there's, there's two things. One, I, I love the way you put it, very eloquent. Um, the chaos part, and, and we, by the way, and those of us who listen to Bobby and I, we make fun of the far left. We make fun of the far right, too. Just so We make fun of Italians. No doubt about it. I gave a speech at a Republican uh, convention like a year ago, and we were talking about how to get the Democrats out. And I stopped and I go, and listen, remember this. I'm not part of you. As soon as we can win this war, I'm going to turn my attention to you guys next. Only half the crowd laughed. But anyway, you said chaos. I, this word crisis which every time you turn on uh, the news now, we talk, they're talking about the migrant crisis, the migrant crisis that any day they could stop or at least severely slow down this crisis. Like the thing we talked about California at the beginning, they want this crisis because when you say crisis and people believe in that, then they can throw as much money as they want toward it and just be like, dude, it was a crisis. And that to me is, is a, a problem. Plus, I also think that there's an element of this that they think if they give people shit, they will vote for the Democrats. So again, I, I hate to be the guy who's just so jaded by this, this shit, but that's where I'm at, Nate. Okay, so I think most progressives, like the true progressives are revolutionaries and you have to have a reason for revolution and that's the chaos, right? If the chaos can there get high go. enough, Brilliant. now I have an intellectual reason why I need to tear down institution X and replace it with institution Y. And so I kind of agree, if there's a perpetual revolution in the minds of some people, the more chaos, the better. Interestingly, I think the blue cities that have the largest social programs are the ones who get affected the most by people coming into these cities. And Jim, you and I have had some back and forth on this just about Chicago in particular. So Chicago made a choice to allow undocumented people to be able to qualify for city um, services and benefits. Well, guess what? That's a bad system that was already breaking under the weight of the administrative state and the number of people inside of it. You're right. If you add 100,000 illegal immigrants over three years, a bad system totally collapses. And so the blue cities where they started to complain about this problem, they're seeing that the immigrants are accentuating the existing cracks in the infrastructure of all of their plans. So I think that it's like just like, you know, chef's kiss. It's like the greatest irony ever that the people who are most pro-immigration are the ones who are 
dealing with the worst consequences. You were about to say a word that Bobby swore off in his New Year's resolution. (laughs) (laughs) I saw your mouth making that word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the red states that tell immigrants you don't get any benefits. So like in the state of Nebraska, they get zilch benefits. Guess what? The immigrants hustle and they do fine. Like the interesting thing to me is the people who work outside the system are thriving. Quick anecdote. I'll just give you an anecdote and we can talk about whatever else you want. I want those people, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is great. So this was one of my first years practicing. I want to say 2015 guy comes in and he's talking, he's talking with me. This is my old shop before I started my own place. He said, Hey, Nate, I've been in, I've been stateside about 15 years. I'm a diesel mechanic. So I work on big 18 wheeler engines, that kind of thing across the border illegally. My boss took the risk on me, by the way, interesting thing in the law, it's not illegal to work. It's illegal to have workers who don't have papers. Big distinction. Employers have the risk, not the individuals. Back to Bobby's point, if you have incentives that are super screwed up, people will respond, right? So the employers have the risk. And his employer took the risk and said, I need a diesel mechanic. Come work for me. A a truck comes in, it's totaled, uh, lit on fire. It's useless. He takes it. And he's like, hey, can I have it? I'll work on it in my backyard. Boss says, sure, it's a worthless piece of junk. He gets it fixed up starts an LLC, hires an American to drive that freight, and then repeats three more times. He had four refrigerated freight trucks. He was making half a million. He didn't drive them. He hired Americans to do it. He was able to have this $500,000 a year after expenses income. He was about ready to go buy another rig to get his fifth. And now he'd married an American and he could get legal. And I thought, that's the most amazing American story you could ever think of. He hustled from zilch got no handouts, no nothing, and hired Americans and was making bank. That's and fantastic. Ever yeah, since yeah. that moment, I went, okay, this is the land of opportunity. Still I, is. Still is. Even in the face of all of the idiocy from D.C. and some of the localities that try to make starting a business impossible, if you have a skill set in a market, you can make it happen. And that story was really inspirational to me early in my career. And I said, hey, I just got to get people work permits. I got to do whatever I can to just get the administrative state out of the way, and then these people will hustle. And by and large, that's what happens. So anyway, so I throw that out as a fun anecdote. I have a, my heart breaks for people who get here and then immediately get the liberal mind virus that says, you need to go get free healthcare first, Yeah. right? You, we immediately start to ruin the hustle that most of these people have. And we tell them, no, nope, back off. That's not how we do things here. Go get in line, get in line. Who no. has time to get in line? There's work to be done. Oh, grab a so I got, I got, this is my final question for you because we're running out of time, but it's actually a two-parter. One's going to be really fast, and then the other one I'd like you to expand on a little bit. Number one, is there any difference, like, is there any etymological difference between illegal immigrant, undocumented worker, and migrant at this point? I mean, is there like a legal difference between those three phrases? Because it seems like they changed it for perception more than anything. It went from an illegal immigrant crisis to an undocumented worker crisis to a migrant crisis. How do you separate those? And then lastly, so then I can just let you talk, what is the legality or the legal trouble, if you know, that the states can get into for shipping these people to these sanctuary cities? Yeah. So actually, you'll find this funny. It's inverted. The last one is there's zero legal trouble for Ron DeSantis to send people anywhere he wants in the whole country. There, mm-hmm. There is zero, like it would be the state of Florida 
would have to get mad that tax dollars were being used to send the folks, right? It'd be an internal issue. There's, yeah, they're not like, mad. I live here now. They're not. No, mad. no, that's right. As a matter of fact, I think you'd probably find the vast majority of people are like, yeah, send more. Let's go. <laughs> um, so that's easy. The first one's actually more complicated. Here's why. So right now, the Biden administration has made, dis they've made decisions to make the border crisis worse. Here's how they did it. They allowed people who turn themselves in or want to get caught at the border five-year work permits once they enter the United States. So a person will get to the U.S.-Mexico border. They want to be caught. No offense to Fox News, but all of those nice pictures of like tons of people and like all this chaos, it's because those people want to be caught. So now how do you categorize a person who is showing up and being caught on purpose versus the person who does the desert walk? and is just in the United States totally invisible. Are those categorically the same thing? I don't know the answer to that. I feel like that's, that's up for debate. Under the law, the people who get apprehended at the border and get contact with ICE or Border Patrol, they enter the system and they're doing that on purpose because they can get a five-year work permit as they wait for their asylum application to work through the system. And right now the backlog is so bad, I tell my clients, you'll get the five-year work permit, you'll likely renew the five-year work permit before you actually get a final adjudication on the application. Wow. And so that's, that's sort of the deal. There are people who got caught. Are they legal? I mean, they've been processed. They're in the U.S. and the Biden administration knows they're there versus the person who crossed in the desert and can never get a work permit. If you want to draw a fine distinction between those two groups, sure. But I think when somebody says we have this group of people who are intentionally getting caught I still want to refer to them as illegal. That's fine by me because those people are on the slow road to deportation. If the system were quicker and more efficient, they'd be gone in three months, right? It'd be 90 day turnaround. That's what the law says is supposed to happen. But right now we're at five years. I tried to set up a, an interview in Chicago. They said 2030 is when they'll be able to review the application. Oh my God. So, you know, Government that's at its best. Right. And so one of the one of the difficulties is if you want to throw more administration and more manpower at the problem, the system is so archaic, you almost have to start over. And that's tough. We don't have a Congress that's interested in starting over on anything. Unbelievable. So but I mean, we can agree that there is zero question in any of our logical minds that this is a crisis that they want to continue and to escalate, right? I mean, there is a chance that the Biden administration gets enough blowback that they try to reverse course mid-2024. Like, I okay, do believe- That's not the question, though. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So as of right now, they're comfortable with it. And I honestly believe that one of the reasons is we have a labor market that is structured badly right now because of past policy issues, namely COVID. The people underestimate how many people left the workforce how many companies went from we're fully employed to I can't find any workers anymore because of awful government policy in 2020. I think the Biden administration looks at the immigration problem as a possible solution to some of those problems. But of course, this is the wrong way to get a solution. Yeah. But I do yeah. think if we were sitting with the intelligentsia in the White House, they'd say, hey, this is we, we got a tight labor market. This is how we're fixing it. Like they might say that. Um, and again, I think the political blowback is going to be more than they realize. By mid 2024, they're going to try to reverse course. That'd be my prediction. Robert, are we going to let our friend Nate go? Time to go, Nate. Appreciate go, you Nate. guys. A lot Thank of fun. You so much. That was a ton of fun. Tell them where they can find you, Nate, real quick. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm Nate Dallin. You can Google me. There's only one D A L L O N. There's just not that many of us. <laughs> <laughs>